I think there's such thing as, as wrong training, but there's no such thing as right training in my mind. A lot of people have made completely different things work. Some people have made something really structured work. If that works for you, that's awesome. It's just about kind of fine tuning what works for you. Cause honestly, you can approach it from a million different angles and become one of the best out there. It's fascinating for me to see like how people train in Slovenia versus how people train in Japan. It's like two super contrasting points of view, which for me has given me the freedom to honestly continue to experiment, continue to, to try new things. Hey, welcome to the Test Piece Podcast. This podcast is about all things high-level climbing. My name's Joshua Horsley. I've been climbing for 25 years, and I love staying at the cutting edge of climbing. Hi, my name is Timothy Kang. I'm a pro climber, a coach, and a route setter, and climbing is my life. We started the podcast to explore and articulate what it takes to climb at a high level, what it takes to go from good to great. Okay, let's start the podcast. All right, Sean Bailey, welcome to the podcast, man. Yeah, what's good, dude? How's it going? Dude, I'm I'm psyched. I'm psyched to catch you in Las Vegas. When we last chatted, you were in Bishop, and we were trying to talk, and there was like construction going on. But <laughs> now, now you've got a nice house. You're chilling in Vegas, but it, it's always tough with you guys who are professionals, like flying all over, just catching you, catching you with good Wi-Fi. So yeah, man, thanks for thanks for joining me. Yeah, I'm happy it worked out, and there's no one standing on my roof at the moment making loud noises. Yeah, the, the the Bishop uh motel hang is, is not really the the glamorous hang. I mean it's better than camping in the ice cold really dry buttermilks, but yeah, the, those motels kind of not not so fun, but yeah, uh dude, Sean Steezy Bailey. Uh I just I I love your nickname. I I wanted to know where you got that nickname, dude. How did did you you didn't name yourself. Someone came up with that, right? Yeah, I mean, I honestly don't know exactly the inception. Um, yeah, I'm kind of trying to run away from that one at the moment. But <laughs> yeah, back uh, in the day, for sure. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm I'm sorry. I I didn't mean to bring. I I like it. Because <laughs> I have lame. I have like a lame nickname, and I just thought that was cool because you definitely do have uh, a style. I don't know. Me and Tim were talking about how whenever we see you climb, you just you make. You make things look easy. That that was my number one question from all the other people I asked. I'm like, oh, what should I talk to Sean about? And it was, how does Sean make everything look so easy? Does he find it all as easy as it looks? So I don't know. I, I think your nickname's cool, but sorry to bring, sorry to bring <laughs> No, you're good. No worries. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it mostly comes from... Um, I, I just really appreciate efficient movement and I try to climb as efficiently as possible and always look for the most efficient way um, for for my style and my body. Like I feel like everyone has different strengths. Like my strengths are a lot in my hands and um, my positioning and like my ability to create like momentum in an efficient way and, and to uh, stop momentum. So I kind of use those skills and try to find my most efficient way through through everything with kind of those tactics. 
Yeah, me and Tim commented on our last pod watching you do lucid dreaming, just the way that you grabbed that infamous, just heinous pinch and yarded through it. I don't know. Maybe uh, I I know lucid was, uh, you said it was one of your bigger projects. So I'd love to dive into that. But were we right where it looked like you could really own that pinch? And most of the people we see on lucid, I don't know. I, I wanted to say like they kind of just move around it versus really using it. Uh, what what would, what did it feel like doing Lucid? What did you think of that that pinch? Um, yeah, it's interesting for sure because that that hold is so weird. It's like no other hold. Um, you some tries it would feel like the way I wanted it to, and then the next five tries I I couldn't use it at all, and then it would feel okay, and then couldn't use it at all. So it, it was hard to kind of get uh yeah get a good understanding of it and like how i wanted to take it and um like what made it feel better some tries but yeah i mean the try that it went and the previous day i I had some you know probably two or three uh tries on the last move where it just felt like perfect and i was actually like pretty tired in the session too so i really felt like i could pull on it um while i was tired and then that next session i came back and I think first or second rip from the ground that day, um, I got up to that pinch and I felt like less tired than I had, you know, the previous day and it, you know, felt the way I wanted it to feel. So I kind of knew it was like go time at that moment. Yeah. You were talking about how you're really into efficient, both creating momentum and stopping momentum. And I'm curious about, uh, the so the kind of classic move on lucid is that grabbing that pin, going from that pinch and that under cling to that slot but you're not a super tall climber and so your move from that like lower uh tooth into the pinch looked a lot more dynamic and you know like it, was it harder for you to like how did you time that like big move up to like such a, a bad hold. I feel like it's a good example of your ability to both create momentum and then stop it too. Yeah. Um, I, honestly, I don't know. That's a good question. That, that was one of those things that I just kind of learned through muscle memory. Um, yeah. Sometimes it's hard for me to like articulate why things work. Cause it's just like, I, I'll shut my brain off sometimes and just let my kind of my body do the work. Um, that was one of those situations for sure. But yeah. I, I think lucid's a really interesting boulder. Cause you're right. Like I, I think it's a good equalizer, like taller climbers can get to the pinch um, without having to uh, be as dynamic. And I think they have like a lot more space in between their arms when they actually get to the pinch and the feet are like in a little bit of a more comfortable position but then a shorter climber is like going to be lighter more often than not and, you know, might feel better on the hold. So it's a cool boulder for that reason. Cause everyone's kind of got their crux on it. Like it's hard no matter what, but it, uh, it's hard in different ways for like different body types. Ah, that explains why maybe it's so iconic. Yeah. I, I didn't mean to just dive right into lucid, but I don't know. I just like that problem. And, and that video was just mind blowing when I saw you do it. Uh, and, and you also mentioned last time we talked that, maybe it was one of your longer projects. How long did it take you? Um, Yeah. I mean, it didn't seem like it took you that long. Are you now switching into doing more projecting stuff? Yeah. Well, I guess it was like one of my longer bouldering projects or maybe my, well, I don't know if it was my longest, but yeah, it took me five days to do. 
for me, like, yeah, most, most boulders I've done in the past have gone a little bit faster than that. Cause I've, I think I've spent a lot more time kind of working on the sport climbing projecting side and, and less on the bouldering, but now I'm kind of diving more into bouldering. So <clears throat> just kind of trying to figure out how to bring, you know, what I've learned in sport climbing to bouldering. Cause I mean, my longest sport projects like, well, undone like 60 days and something I did like 30 days. So I'm, I'm a little more like knowledgeable about how to, uh, how to spend a long time on a sport route. Whoa. Yeah. 30 days. Well, 60 days, uh, it's a lot longer. <laughs> what, what was the, the 30 day one? Uh, that was a bibliography. It, it might've been a few less, but it was, you know, 20 to 30, somewhere in there. Oh man. I got to hear a little bit about that. What, what pulled you to that climb? Uh, I, I, that's a really iconic one in Seyus that it, I feel like it's our, well, maybe not our, maybe your generation's uh, biography. Like, I really think that's cool that Magos named it bibliography because, you know, it's nearby. It's kind of got a similar ring to it. Um, but yeah, where'd that go? How, how was that experience? It was good. Yeah. It, I mean, I, as soon as I saw footage of it, I wanted to do it because biography to me was like the perfect sport route. Um, the rock's beautiful. It, it's mostly pretty comfortable. Climbs amazing. And bib is like, just what, like 30 feet to the right. And the breakdowns, you know, very different, but it's still on a lot of that really good stone and it's just a few levels up. So it was something that I like really wanted to do for, I mean, ever since I saw the footage of it. When did you do, I, I'm guessing you've done biography. What, when did you do biography and then how much later did you do bibliography? Um, I, I think I did biography when I was 20 or 21. Um, so bib was like, what, four, four or five years later. All right. I, I totally blew this. I, I was supposed to intro you more. I mean, I, I assume most people know who you are, Sean, but, um, uh, you can already tell if you've been listening that we're already talking about some of the, the hardest <laughs> climbs in the world. Uh, some of the, the coolest climbs in the world too. Like what, what an awesome thing to get to test yourself on bibliography, lucid, but you've also had massive success in the competition realm, uh, multiple lead world cup wins, bouldering world cup win. Uh, so just wanted to kind of get that out of the way. I assume that everyone listening knows, but just wanted to remind everyone, yeah, Sean, uh, you've climbed a bunch of good stuff. So, before we go too far down the rabbit hole of those incredible climbs, I, I didn't know a ton about your, you know, how you started climbing, but you kind of surprised me when you said that you'd been climbing for like 22 years, which if I do the math there, somewhere around like five years old, like how did you even <laughs> yeah, get into climbing? Like yeah. Well, okay, my, my parents, awesome. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Matt's good. Um, yeah. Uh, my parents both climbed. Um, when I was growing up, so they got me into it pretty young. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't climb a ton when I was that age, but I joined like some youth programs at the climbing gym, vertical world climbing out of Seattle. Um, <clears throat> and then from there I joined the, the team there when I was like 12 or so. Um, and then it was kind of on, like I was pretty pretty dedicated from then, then on like 12 till now. So I'd say I've been climbing seriously, like since I was 12, but dabbled before that. I mean, that's quite a while still. I, that's cool. Your parents climbed it. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to bring that to my kids. I think there's something great about the parents bringing into the family. So Seattle 
Pacific Northwest. I, I was kind of curious, did you get outside when you were young? Like what crags did you cut your teeth on when you were younger? Um, Little Sigh and Smith Rock were the two big ones for me. I was more focused on, on roots when I was younger. Um, and those were the, the two spots that I think I probably grew the most as a rock climber. Uh, I mean, ever since I was, you know, 14 or so, um, I, well, when I was younger, I was in school and stuff, but you know, I would make sure to spend every weekend I could outside and I'd go to the crag, like little size, like 30 minutes outside of Seattle and then a 30 minute hike. So I'd, I'd head there after school some days. Um, so I was always kind of trying to put a good amount of focus into rock climbing too, since a pretty young age. Yeah. Cause that vertical world team is, is, I mean, it produced a bunch of competitors and I, I mean, clearly with your time in the world cups, you also did uh, competing. I, I'm just curious, man, like what were some of those Smith rock climbs that you remember? You made me think of my, my first 12 a was heinous cling. And that was a nice. long freaking time ago. <laughs> that, like, oh, that's awesome. Ago. Um, that is awesome kinda, to hear. You got any ones that stick out in your head when you were a kid that you're like, oh, I totally remember doing that. That was a big breakthrough for me. Definitely. Yeah. Um, well, actually, Rudy Ruana, Drew's dad, he really helped me out when I was younger. Um, I was like pretty, I was actually pretty scared of falling, which is like kind of lame to say, but it, it was the truth. Um and Smith is, it's sport climbing, but it's one of the boldest sport climbing crags around. So he kind of sent me on a, a pretty good program to get my head good. Um, I think the really memorable ones for me were Scarface was the first one. Cause I, I remember seeing it like when I was 15 and I said, man, I, I really want to do that someday. Um, but it felt like so out of my league, like and I wasn't as dialed in rock climbing, dialed at Smith Rock. So, you know, I was climbing like probably 13A or so outside at the time. Um, and then within that year, it's like I was just chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And then almost, I think almost exactly a year later, I sent Scarface. And that was like a pivotal moment for me because I really felt like I had um, not mastered, but was like well on the way to understanding sport climbing, not, you know, getting so heady and, and all of that stuff. So that was one. And then I think actually full heinous, you bring up heinous cling full heinous was one too. Cause that thing is super heady. Uh, if you've done it, it's, it's like, it's runner at the top. Um, and you know, I, I always want to take the victory whip from the top too. So that was like also something I did and I was all psyched up on it. I mean, you, you end up like at the second or third bowl of heinous, which if you know that thing, that's, man, that's gotta be like a 70 or 80 foot fall, something like that. <laughs> Dude, that's, that's huge. That, that's a really <laughs> yeah. yeah, for I, sure. I think that I, 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 when I did heinous cling, I was probably, I don't know, I was probably like 10 years old or something. And I remember now when I go back and got psyched on climbing again more as an adult on sport climbing, I remember how terrified I was. And when I think about Smith, it's like I had good reason to be terrified. Those falls were huge. I mean, they're they're safe, uh, but it's just kind of funny how if you go and you climb at Kalimnos or something and there's just a bolt every five feet or you climb the gym. I, I do think that that's something that I miss from sport climbing is that kind of, 
it's I, I don't blame you for being scared. I'm actually curious what uh, what Rudy did to kind of help you quash that fear. Um, yeah, I, he just I mean he knew the he knows the crag like the back of his hands, so he kind of knew the good progression of routes to try. And it was just like every single route was like pushing my limit a little bit more, a little bit more. Like I remember when I was trying to do Scarface initially, like I climbed on dreaming a few times, um, which is just to the right of Scarface, but it's got a very similar slab, like same run out. Um, yeah. Those run out slabs and Smith can be pretty scary. Like when you're looking 15 feet below your feet is the, the last bolt and you're on like a, five degree slab you're kind of not that psyched a lot of the time but yeah it it was just really just progressive like uh building a pyramid and all kind of all the classic things that we know to do but he he had a good idea of which ones were the ones yeah so many people skip through it i I like hearing about stories from guys like you about the first you know, five twelve, or i think and scarface is like 13 c i want to say and 14a 14a Oh my bad, my bad. What's the what's the thirteen C? Maybe it's Rude Boys or something. I don't know. Rude uh, Boys. Rude been, Boys is another been, amazing one. <laughs> been probably been about twenty five years since I've been there. Uh, but you know, I, I just think it's cool because I think people forget that along that journey, you, you know, you you get stuck at different grades, or not even stuck, just like that. Your dream goal is a fourteen A versus that. That's a long ways off from you know, the 15 C of bibliography, <laughs> but you know, everyone right. has to chip away and build that pyramid. So, and even hearing that you were scared of some falls, although dude, I think I'd still be scared to do full heinous. Like I, I don't think that ever goes away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, it definitely climbing and Smith gave me, cause I agree. Like you said in the past, um, that you like those kind of headier sport routes where it's a little more spaced. I I'm the exact same way. Like I find a route way more, uh, it's just a more fun, full value experience. If like, even though you're sport climbing, you're like, damn, I'm like pretty high above the bolt right now. I don't know why, but it's that that's lasted for me. Like I, I really appreciate that stuff. Yeah. Me, me and Tim were always saying make climbing dangerous again, but I don't know. That's kind of like, hell yeah. Half the time. <laughs> it's not that dangerous, but well, so you said Smith, you didn't definitely did not say, Leavenworth. And so I, I know you were doing more sport climbing. When did bouldering kind of come into your purview? I think around the same time. Um, I just had spent a lot more time uh, sport climbing. That was kind of like my specialty at the time. Um, so I was bouldering as well, but uh, significantly less, you know, like I, I went on a bouldering trip, maybe one out of every like five sport climbing trips or something like that. Um, but yeah, like Leavenworth, Gold Bar, um, all you know, all the Washington stuff, uh, Squamish a little bit, um, yeah, just all the Pacific Northwest crags. Which, in my opinion, honestly, if you kind of grow up climbing in in those zones, you become a a pretty well rounded climber. Dude, uh, Smith Rock very different from Squamish granite, and very different from that featured Leavenworth granite. It, it does. Although, boy, it also makes you good at finding the right conditions because all those places get hot and cold and rainy and too cold. I don't know. Yeah, it's all over the place there. Uh, so I'm curious. You kind of you kind of hinted at this earlier. You projected Lucid, but by projecting, you meant 
five days for one of the, the harder boulders in, in the Pacific Northwest. Well, I guess from the Pacific North in on the West coast in, in all of America, let's face it. That's one of the harder boulders. <laughs> uh, yeah, d- despite that V15 grip. Anyways, you, uh, you talked about that time you spent on bibliography and I'm curious, what did you like, what did you bring from that projecting world on sport climbing in, into the bouldering world? Yeah, th- this is actually something I've been thinking about a lot because I think there's a lot of tactics that sport climbers use that can be really beneficial to bowlers that bowlers maybe don't use as much. Um, you know, not everyone projects sport routes the same, but I-, I had a philosophy from pretty early on to like really beat routes down to the point where when you actually send, it's like not that hard anymore because you've trained on it so much. And it's pretty easy to train on sport routes. You know, you can just break it into sections and then just huck laps, you know, do the section, do the section again, do the section again. And it builds this uh, kind of specific endurance um, that can let you do things, you know, pretty quick and and not by accident a lot of the time. Um, So I I try to bring some of that into bouldering, um, you know, kind of that same philosophy of, of trying to, you know, not let something feel like it was an accident. Like I, I want to feel like I'm prepared and then I send because I am fully prepared for that thing. Um, I think in bouldering, it's like easier to kind of get into the mentality of like, Oh, I did the move. So now I'm going to try the link. Um, as opposed to like, no, I'm going to like work this until it's like not that hard for me anymore. And, and some people do that really well, but, um, I think it's a less used tactic maybe. Yeah, that's interesting to think about dialing something in when it's only a, a few moves like like lucid really is just a handful of of hard moves do you uh, you talked about kind of getting that muscle memory you know do you try to do a move a bunch of times because one of the other things of bouldering that makes it difficult is that skin and just difficulty you may only be able to do a move two or three times in a session if that and it can kind of like beat you up like is there any way you can use lucid as an example for that? Yeah. I mean, lucid was definitely different. It was, I think actually harder to find a way to use that tactic, but I still tried to, um, uh, on lucid, what really the reason I think I sent it and sent it decently quick is because on my, my previous session, it was a kind of a harder work session. Um, I was trying one of the classic links that people do is from, uh, what is it Uh, from the crimp, and the the shark tooth and do the last two moves, which feels like kind of funny because um, getting into that is actually not that hard. Um, but it's it's a link that a lot of people try, I think. So I, I tried that link for, you know, most of the session, beat myself up on it. Um, skin was like pretty blown by it too. And then to finish the session off, I went to that, um, the last move and I was totally dead, but was able to do the last move like twice in a row. And that was like super confidence building. Cause then I was in my mind, I was thinking, okay, like if I get up here, I'm going to feel better than this. And I know I have decent consistency on the move. Um, so I, I think stuff like that can like that building confidence can be, uh, super helpful. Um, which obviously, you know, people do that in, in all styles of climbing, but I think, sometimes the way people do it in bouldering is a little different in sport climbing. It's like, for me, a lot about repetition. Yeah. That's interesting. I like that, that style of thinking, 
well, if I can do this move, even when I'm blown out at the end of the session, I, you know, I, I got this. There, there's some kind of like mental, uh, mental help there. Do you, something that I see in sport climbing a lot more is th- there's a more relaxed posture. There's a, there's a more breathing opportunities that gets taken you know, sometimes even right during a crux. Like, do you find that you tend to breathe more than others when you're bouldering or take a moment to kind of like calm down? I, I'm not really saying this the right way. It's just, there's this kind of the, 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 the intensity of a sport climber, even in the middle of the crux usually looks like dialed down at least a notch compared to that kind of absolute aggro, like battling through those two moves to get to the top and bouldering. Uh, do you, yeah. Do you see something like that? Or I just way off in left field here. Well, I kind of feel like in sport climbing, there's a lot of different flows that can be effective and everyone's got different flows that work for them. And I I think, you know, a lot of what makes a a really great sport climber great is their ability to kind of switch between different flows, depending on um, where on the route they are and kind of what it requires so I, I think that's a useful tactic in bouldering too. I, I think something shorter like lucid, you're not thinking about that quite as much, but a lot of the harder boulders these days are, are getting longer. So I think there's a lot of opportunity to kind of play with speed and, and uh, intensity um, to, to change the efficiency. Cause like the way, the way I see it is if you climb, you know, faster with a little more intensity, your speed's going to be lower. Sometimes that's actually more efficient than trying to climb it as, you know, flowy, as you can, because it slows the whole thing down. Um, so I think on the longer boulders, that can be helpful. Like on uh, Grand Illusion, for example, I, I felt like really like I was sport climbing it. Like it was all about good flow, good efficient movement, like not trying to power through too much. So the speed kind of goes down, but I, I think the efficiency was worth it. Um, until you hit the crux, then, you know, that crux is like, you just have to try hard. So making that, that flip switch, I think is, um, one of the harder things to learn in, in sport climbing um, and can definitely be helpful in bouldering too, depending on the boulder. Do you have any tricks or style or uh, just, yeah, any, any tips for people to both turn it down and th- turn it up when they're sport climbing? I, I feel like a lot of boulders, when they tie in, they don't know how to you know, chill when they need to chill. And similarly, it seems like sometimes sport climbers don't know how to really ramp it up as they head into a crux. Do you, do you have anything special you do for that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I learned that all through training, honestly, when I was young and, and a little bit less through um, execution, actually. I mean, trying to execute definitely helps you dial that in from a performance side, but I think the training is, is where you get the, the repetition um, and the, the muscle memory for different climbing styles and flows. Um, so, you know, when I was like 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, I was doing like four by fours on a rope, like two, three days a week. Um, so it was just so much climbing. Um, and in doing that and spending so much time on the wall doing, you know, massive amounts of volume, I, I think I learned a lot about how to be efficient in different sections because you just have a lot of, uh, a lot of time to play around. Um, you can try things different ways. Like sometimes I do fast lap, slow lap or slow lap, fast lap. So you start to really understand the breakdown of, of a single route. Like if you climb one route, you know, a hundred times and try it every single possible way for one, you're going to climb really efficiently on it. But for two, you're going to understand 
how, you know, every style of climbing affects you on that route, which I, I found really valuable when I was younger. Uh, that's interesting. Damn. I, I like that idea of climbing the same route a lot and really it's like, there's these different levels that you peel off where it's not just, it's not just learning how to do the the route. It's like, as you start really dialing in, you dial in the efficiency and then you learn something else from just spending time doing that same thing over and over again. Yeah. Uh, that's something that you talked about before. I didn't realize how into training you were. I, there's so many pro climbers that I talk to that do not train at all or train very minimally. And it sounded like training was something that entered your life. Well, I think you said around 12, you know, when you really started taking mm -hmm. it seriously. And I was just kind of curious what those early days of training look like and, and also maybe what, you know, how it changed compared to today. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's changed a lot for sure. Um, you know, when I was earlier, it was like a lot more, uh, about volume, I think. Um, I think volume can be really good for kids because it's a little lower impact for one, but also you, you learn so much about climbing by climbing. Um, you know, since I was young, 90 plus percent of my training has been all on the wall, um, which I think is super valuable because I think, um, in my opinion, you can, you can tailor, you know, actual climbing to almost any muscle group that you want to work in climbing, unless you have a pretty specific weakness. So, it's always been, you know, on the wall stuff, but, um, the, I think the volume over the years has gone down, um, and the intensity has started to, to increase quite a bit. Have you ever done any off the wall training? Yeah. I, I mean, I've lifted some weights a little bit here and there, which can be fun. Uh, yeah. I've, I've tried hangboarding a little, but I don't really totally believe in it. Um, I think campusing, like, is the closest to off the wall training that I did a lot of. Um, but even that's still, you know, climbing movement, I think. God, it's crazy to hear that you don't hangboard. I mean, I'm not, I just started experimenting with hangboarding now, like 30 years into my climbing, but it's, it's just surprising because I mean, I would say you're known for having some of the strongest hands in climbing. I, there's not even a question there. There's more just like a damn, uh, I'm surprised, you know, it's interesting to hear that, uh, that you don't even hang board. And yet we think of you as having some of the strongest hands. And I love that idea of just volume on the wall. So like, do you do structured programs? Like, do you write anything out or, you know, how do you think about structuring your, your training? Um, yeah, well, you know, my, my coach, uh, Tyson Shaney, uh, he structured everything out for me when I was younger. And then, you know, by the time I was like 15, 16, um, it really started to become, uh, a process that we worked on together. So I think, you know, for a long time, I've been, um, dialing in my, my own training and, and trying to understand it. Um, but it, you know, initially it was just throwing stuff at the wall. It was like, throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. Um, and, uh, yeah, just experimenting, I guess would be the best way to put it. Um, in doing that, you know, you find kind of what works and, and, you know, by the time I was like 17, we would write these whole programs out and then <clears throat> we wouldn't throw them away, but we would, uh, you know, have it in our minds. Like this is what the plan is but then have the kind of the looseness to take a day by day, um, which, which I found really valuable. And I, and I still do. Cause I think it, you know, if you're 
too rigid with your structure, you can be missing out on a sensation a lot of the time and you're not as aware of, you know, how you feel day to day. Um, so we always tried to keep a little bit of looseness in there and, and we could ramp a little more some days, switch a day out, um, take an extra day off, like really tailor every day to how you feel on that day, um, which I think is is valuable because it, it lets you get the most out of every single session as opposed to being like um, so attached to a schedule that you either overtrain or undertrain or, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah, I brought this up because of what we were chatting out, be, chatting about before, where you thought it was way more efficient to not be too rigid in in your structure, and and it really stood out in my head too because I was thinking about how when people just follow a plan from a very young age too, how they never build that awareness, like they don't really know, like oh, today is the day I need to push it, or you know what, today I just I shouldn't even be here, and just developing that intuition is kind of a lifelong pursuit. And I just thought it was cool when you pointed out the, the efficiency there, that either that if you follow a plan too closely, it's it's either uh, you're wasting your time because you could have been going harder or you're doing too much and, and you're kind of blowing it there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think experimentation there is like the most important thing. Um, you know, it's a little frightening to experiment, um, but it's really helpful because you have to push too hard to know what too hard feels like. You have to undertrain to know what undertraining feels like. So if you don't feel those sensations, you know, a bunch of times, you're not going to be like aware of them. And and the more you feel those sensations and the more you try to be aware of them, you can start catching them sooner. Um, so I think it, it definitely helped me dial in to now where I feel like, you know, not the most dialed because I think, you know, your body changes and training has to change with it. But I, I do have a, a pretty decent idea of like how my sensation relates to my training. Like I, I find a lot of people are, are pretty metric based in their training, which can be, um, it can be helpful for, for a lot of people because they can see progress. My, my sensation is like, or my feeling, I guess, is it's all based on sensation. It's all based on feel. Um, it's not based on anything uh, quantifiable, I guess, um, which has its pros and its cons. But I think one of the biggest pros is that it can be efficient a lot of the time if you get it dialed in. Well, whatever you're doing, it's working. I I usually don't dive into this training stuff too much because I think everyone is so unique, but I just couldn't resist like knowing that you have extremely strong fingers and hands. And I, I think everyone out there wants stronger fingers and hands. You know, people are always like, Oh, maybe Sean has some like secret thing that he does that only he does and he'll share it. But it's like, it's never that. It's never that. <laughs> I, yeah. I wish, I wish just hard work. <laughs> well, um, yeah. Yeah. There you go. There's the secret sauce. Well, dude, the one thing that you said <laughs> of that I thought was, was really interesting was how, when you first started traveling for all the world cups, how you would see all these different styles of people training and that people trained differently all over the world. And I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Maybe you can uh, say it better, but it kind of sounded like to me, your conclusion was that in some ways everything worked or, you know, there, there was lots of different paths to success. Yeah. I mean, I, I would put it as, I think there's such thing as, as wrong training, but there's no such thing as right training in my mind. Um, a lot of people have 
like <laughs> made completely different things work. Some people have made something really structured work. If that works for you, that's awesome. Some people have made something super metric, analytical work. If that works for you, that's awesome. Um, it's just about kind of fine tuning what works for you. Cause honestly, you can approach it from a million different angles and become one of the best out there. Um, you know, uh, it, it's fascinating for me to see like, how people train in Slovenia versus how people train in Japan. It's like two super uh, contrasting points of view, um, which it, for me has given me the freedom to um, honestly continue to experiment, continue to, to try new things because I, I have a feeling that kind of anything can work if you dial it in the right way. Dude, I got to ask a little bit about Japan because there's always a bit of mystique there and the climbers that they make and B-pump. I know you've spent a decent amount of time there. What's that scene like and how is it compared to what we're doing here in America? Yeah, it's it's different, man. It's um, it's cool. It's the resources there are, are you know, maybe second to none, I think, in terms of setting. That's probably the the biggest thing that they have over the rest of the world right now in my opinion um there's just a, a really big concentration of hard boulders in the gym <laughs> that are you know still um technical still allow you to learn about movement but allow you to train really hard just by sessioning on them and i think one of my biggest takeaways from the first trip to japan is like wow every, people here they just session that's all anyone does is session um, so it's kind of like what a rock climber does. They're just doing it in the gym, which makes it a little more tailored to gym climbing because of the, you know, the grip styles and, and things like that. But, um, you know, it's, it's really a focus on trying hard boulders and then trying to execute those hard boulders. So it's like process focused and, and sessioning focused, which I think is cool. Like now that resonates with me really well. Cause that's what I've been having fun doing. And, um, is kind of like what I'm trying to work on is, you know, getting better at that projecting process. So, um, it's, it's nice to see that you can actually get like really fucking strong, just climbing. How, how hard are those boulders? I, I mean, there's always this like black tape and what does that really mean? Uh, you're one of the best boulders in the world. Are you, are there boulders in that gym that shut you down? Which, you know, sure. I guess the reason why I ask is also, <laughs> see, that's really interesting because, dude, I would say if I took you to any gym in America, it would be unlikely that there would be a boulder that would shut you. That's like tape, not like some spray wall thing that we make up, you know, which is fascinating. So, so they are hard. They're actually hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a big difference. I mean, honestly, like this is going to sound like I'm, I'm tooting my own horn, but in the States, it's like, it's rare that I, f I fall on a, a boulder, I feel like in, in gyms a lot of the time. Um, so yeah, it's a big contrast to going from a place like that to, you know, going to Japan where those, the black tapes and B-pump, those are V17 more often than not. Um it's like the hardest bouldering there is. It's in a different style, you know, it's, it's gym style and it's B pump style, which has its own flavor, but it's, it's hard bouldering. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty nuts. Like if you clean out the, the B pump gym, you are, or Ogi Kubo specifically, um, you're, you're in a pretty good spot. Like you're one of the best out there for sure. <laughs>
Are are the average climbers there really strong? Uh, Zach Gala, when he was on, made a comment just about how he wishes there was harder setting in America because he thinks that that kind of can stifle people's growth by having, you know, if you put, uh, if the hardest gym or if the hardest boulder in your gym is V10, what's the odds that a V12 climber is going to come out of there? And I, I think he has a good argument there. And so I'm wondering, uh, is the average climber pretty darn strong that you see there? For sure. Yeah, I completely agree with that idea. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I think like community is why they've gotten so strong in Japan and, and having these kind of these hubs of gyms where like all of the strongest people climb and then any kids coming up in that gym, they're seeing the hardest climbing from day one. So they know what it looks like and they know it's possible from day one. Um, I think it really, it, it, it makes the potential limitless. Um, you know, the philosophy there is like, if people are sending all the hardest boulders then the hardest boulders aren't hard enough. So that gym's actually every single year, that gym is getting harder it's getting more suited to the top climbers. And so if you see that, you know, as a beginner, I think that can really help you uh, grow to become a better climber. Cause uh, it's like, you're just seeing a, a way wider scope, like from the onset of it. Oh, that was really cool. I love hearing that the, the boulders are getting even harder. <laughs> like It's just mind blowing to think it's like, well, you create these boulders, they do well. So let's, let's give them the next challenge. I, I think that's such a cool shit. Ah, Dude, I got to go there. That's cool. Um, didn't know we were going to Japan, but uh, glad we did. Good to hear about it. Um, on, on that traveling style of, of traveling over the world, something that really stood out to me is that you were kind of a, a trailblazer of this generation in the World Cup scene. And I, I know that you are just a competitor through and through and psyched to compete anytime. And I'm just kind of curious about what it was like when you entered the world cup scene. I, I don't even know, like how old were you? What year was that? Who else was, who else did you know there when you started competing in world cups? Dude, I don't know how old I was. <laughs> I think I was 19 <laughs> or 20. I, I honestly well, that don't long remember. Ago, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's not even, yeah, fuck. Uh, yeah. 19 or 20, I think maybe 20. Um, it was weird, dude. It was awesome. It was just on a whim, like on a whim. I was like, Oh, I don't have too much going on. So, um, I'm going to compete at nationals. Um, and then I, I made the team and, and that was like two weeks. It was like the, you know, it was right before like the last entry to lead nationals. Um, so, you know, did that, made the team and was kind of like, well, I mean, what else am I going to do this summer? I'll, I'll go to the comps. Um, and at that time it was like, there, there wasn't people from the States doing the comps really. There's, there's some, uh, people bouldering more like Nathaniel had done, I think one season before me, Josh Larson was competing and bouldering, but in lead, it was like something that no one was, uh, no one was doing. So it was, it was cool. It was super exploratory. And, you know, I was like either just on my own or with friends. Um, you know, I had, you know, one other homie one year come and he competed too, but it was really like, and it felt like we were kind of just doing the thing and, and making it happen. Um, and yeah, it, it was definitely one of my favorite times of my life for sure. Cause it was just so new, like everything felt really fresh. Yeah. I think people probably don't realize that 
Americans being competitive on the World Cup scene is relatively new. Like the last five years, you know, we're seeing Americans place, you know, get on the podium uh, and do well. But that 10 years ago, man, it's just, they're just, I didn't even hear about World Cups. If I watched them, it was, I didn't recognize any of the names. It just seemed like this thing that Americans somehow didn't do. And we were very focused on our nationals. And so I, I just thought it was really cool going there. And I, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what stood out as being different back then? And maybe what did you, what did you take back home and how, you know, how did it make you level up as a climber? Yeah. Um, man, it was, it was funny back then. I'm, I'm just remembering now it's like, we, <laughs> we actually had a really bad rap at the time because not too many people were, were doing it, but, um, it was pretty easy to go to the world cups if you wanted to. So we had a lot of folks that just didn't really belong. Like they weren't competitive. Um, they were going to the comps. So like my first season on the circuit, it was like, Oh, like another American, like dude's probably going to suck. Um, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was just a funny time and kind of meeting everyone on the circuit and, uh, trying to get kind of into that community when I was just like rolling solo or rolling like with one other person. Um, but yeah, that, that first season was, uh, it was super informative. Um, for one, it, it made me realize that I got it, that I could be successful. Um, I had, you know, my first, uh, final that year. Um, I got fourth place in, uh, in Vilar in Switzerland. Um, you know, I had some semifinals, I had a lot of progress, um, but also just got to see like what the strongest dudes looked like. Um, cause I just, I hadn't seen that so much before. So I don't know if I necessarily learned anything specifically, but kind of going back to, um, what we were talking about Japan, uh, just seeing that level was like, Oh fuck. Yeah. Like, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. Um, I want to be that good. So it, it definitely it gave me a fire when I came back and started training for that next season. That's awesome. I I didn't realize you placed fourth in your first season. I, I think that's, yeah, that's a big deal. I don't think people realize how different that venue is and traveling and, and doing so well. Curious I think I was long... sleeping in a, in a car that season. <laughs> <laughs> is that your pro tip? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we, I'm trying to remember if it's that or the next one, but we rented a car and just like, that was, that was the Casa for like a month and a half. <laughs> I just gotta do it. I just gotta tell you as a old man, you, you will always look back on that and just be like, damn, that was so cool. When I was just a kid. I started traveling all over the world. I didn't know anyone that was like by myself. I did stuff like sleep in a car and then compete on the, on the you know world stage and just I don't know that's cool man I I freaking love that story that sounds so fun I'm, I'm excited for you but you kept going back and you got better and now you've won multiple World Cups did did the whole scene change like when did people start joining you man like when did you look around and like your teammates were also vying for the podium yeah like second and third year in it it started to become more of a thing we had you know a few really good seasons and then. Um, by like my fourth season, it was, it was really starting to happen. We had a lot more structure and then kind of for the States, it was like, as soon as the, uh, the Olympics became a thing, um, that's when a lot of structure came in place and we kind of always had a, 
a filled out team. Um, in, in my memory, um, I could be a little bit off, but that was kind of the kind of how the direction went. Yeah. The Olympics definitely made its mark here in America. I, I don't know if you want to go into the Olympic stuff, but something that I found really interesting when we talked earlier is I was like, Oh, Sean, like did the Olympics mean a bunch to you? And that's typically the response from other people. They're like, yeah, dude, I was, I was love the, the Olympics since I was eight years old. And your response, which just to me showed how much you love competing was more just like, well, this is what everyone is training for. This is what people are going for. I want to, I want to compete too. Like I want to be part of that because that's what people are focusing on. And I just, I thought that was just showed that you love competing, man. Like just fundamentally deep down that that's something you enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny. I honestly kind of have like a dislike for the Olympics, um, but not in general maybe, but for climbing specifically, but uh, yeah, it was like, <laughs> uh, it just became the biggest goal for everyone. Um, so if that's what everyone's training for, that's, that's what I'm training for at that time. Cause I was still pretty amped on competing at that time. Dude, I kind of, uh, try to imagine you competing for speed. Like how much of a bummer is it? You're like on the world cup circuit, you're, you know, working on lead work on bouldering. And then someone's like, Oh, Hey, uh, have you seen speed? Because you need to do that now too. Did you train speed <laughs> uh, when you were maybe first going for the, the 2020 <clears throat> Olympics? Yeah, okay. No, not really at all. I, uh, <laughs> the, the kind of the last, the last month before the Pan Ams, um, cause at that comp, I realized that it was like pretty, like really important at that comp, um, actually, but yeah, I don't know. I had an aversion to it. I didn't really like the format. Um, I thought it was kind of stupid. Um, I kind of, I, I don't know. I just want to try to do it my way. I was like, not, you know, I was, I was all into, to, to trying to qualify in some ways because it's what people were trying to do but i wasn't all in in the sense that like i really want to go to the olympics um so i, I kind of just tried to do it a stupid way and my way um and and that was focusing on my specialties which is bouldering and lead climbing um and got actually pretty close to doing it just through bouldering and lead but uh yeah i think i was like one spot shy um yeah i don't know it was it, it just didn't really interest me that much. It, I, you know, I saw from a competitive side, like it, it was a part of the competition, but I, I like showcasing like my climbing and, and what I do and what I think I'm best at. And I like performing in that. So I just tried to push those things kind of as hard as I could while I was trying to, yeah, get to Tokyo, but probably would have. <laughs> had a better chance if I trained speed for sure. <laughs> I don't know. I totally get that, that mental state though. You're like, I, this is the thing I do. I've trained my whole life for, and I love competing. And then if someone comes along and says, okay, you love competing, you're going to do bouldering. And then we're going to have you play a chess match also. It's like, wait, wait, I, I'm, that's not what I'm here for. I, you know, you kind of came out of left field with that. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I don't know if you want to keep on going down the the Olympic uh, track. It sounds like you're doing less competing now, and you've been just absolutely smashing boulders outside. Just really, really smashing. You you keep saying that you're getting more into the projecting mode. 
And first of all, I'm kind of curious, it, it sounds like you're heading towards bouldering and away from sport climbing. I, I kind of wanted to find out why you want to do more bouldering and less sport climbing. Um, yeah, I, I think a few reasons. Um, I'm, you know, psyched on bouldering right now just because, honestly, just because it's been fun. But, uh, you know, I feel pretty strong right now, like strong on boulders. So it's feeling like where I can you know, do the most work. And, um, it, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm on a good one and can keep that ball rolling. So I'm just going to try to keep it rolling as long as I can until it slows down. And then I'll probably transition back into a, a sport climbing mode. But I, I think if I want to sport climb right now, I'd have to go like, you know, train in the gym for two months and, uh, it, yeah, just kind of lose out on some opportunities. Maybe. I got to tell you, I have been talking to some, people around you and they're like, yeah, John has always been a great climber, but damn, is he on one right now in bouldering? <laughs> so uh, it's cool <laughs> to see you. I mean, yeah, you know, we just talked about lucid a little bit. Uh, uh, you know, you spent some time in Bishop and I was curious if there was any other climbs that you love doing, any other things you've been focusing on there, but yeah. what did you think of Bishop? Cause it sounded like you hadn't really spent a lot of time there until recently. Yeah, I hated Bishop <laughs> until un until this last trip. I hated Bishop. <laughs> I uh, I I don't know. I had never gotten good conditions there. My skin always got completely fucked. Um, it I never had a good experience. But this previous trip, um, you know, we had a perfect weather for like three three or four weeks. <clears throat> um, yeah, it was, it was an awesome time. I mean, all the classics there are kind of like must do's in my opinion, the, you know, classic 13s and, and slash 14s, um, were some of my favorite boulders around. I kind of think of Bishop as being like a line place more than a movement place. Like you go and you see a line and you're like, I have to climb that. And then you climb on it and you're like, ah, oh, man, this kind of hurts or bites or moves a little funny, but then you kind of look at the line again and you're like, wow, that is a, I have to do that. Um, so it was cool. It was, it was a really fun experience. Um, yeah. Climbed on swarm. That, that was awesome. Um, Spectre. Amazing. Um, Buttermilker sit. Amazing. So just kind of ran through the classics and then uh, uh, kind of ended the trip and started trying the evolution low um, and got that thing done too. So I was, I was really psyched about that. Yeah, I'm not going to let you just pass over that just kind of uh, randomly at the end of uh, already impressive tick list. <laughs> so Evolution Low, uh, you know, a project for a while that I don't know how often it had been tried. Like people have gotten on it, but it was really, it's kind of obvious. And yeah, you just casually mentioned to me that you did Evolution Low. I'm curious, did you go direct or the or the original Jason exit? Uh, you got to go direct, I think. Cause it's the, it's the straightest line, which is why I think it's really cool. It's like the first holds that you can grab on that wall. And then it's, I mean, the, the boulder meanders a little bit, but it's like a, I mean, it's a, a bullet all the way up. So yeah. Um, did that thing went direct, got all scared on the top of it. And it's fun. <laughs> uh, 
How how is that breakdown into the stand? Or I guess guys, now it's the stand. Or I yeah. What's the where are those first couple of moves like to get established into the the evolution that most people know? Where you have to stack a bunch of pads, and I mean that's maybe people listening who haven't tried it don't realize, but evolution you have to stack pads to get onto the start holds until you came along now and made it. Uh, I was going to say accessible for everyone, but no, I, I'm, I don't know what the, you didn't tell me the grade <laughs> yet, but uh, I'm guessing it's not going to be easy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thinking it's probably V16. Um, and maybe in those two moves, I guess like the, the top, uh, I don't know. It, it was a full value experience for me, but it's, it's hard for me to tell if it, um, really should affect the grade or not. Um, but yeah, I think it's kind of right around that V16 grade range um, in those two moves. The first the first move is this hard cross. Your foot rips way out. Um, so it's a lot about maintaining tension. Um, it's got a, like a really barn door kind of feel to it. And the, the second move to the start of evolution is huge. Um, it's It's a big one. And I think if you, you know, if you pull on to the second hold on the boulder and do that move in isolation, it's not so hard, but, um, from, from the bottom, like doing the first move well enough, getting that second crimp, like Gaston crimp good enough, um, to do that next move is like the crux. And then that kind of makes the, that second jump, the, the crux of the whole thing. I'd say. Dude, grandpa Peabody freaking stacked just hard climb after hard climb and really beautiful lines too. I think it's so cool that you got to just put your stamp on that boulder because I just, I mean, look, you're kind of right. It's, it's terrible that you basically were just ripping on Bishop and saying that it's about the lines and not the moves because I, I kind of agree. There's some good movement Bishop, but I, I guess I, I'm more of like the, I, I I'm an aesthetic. I like climbs that you're just, like what the fuck is that? I want to stand on top of that one. Uh, I don't. I'm not really trying to like totally rip on Bishop. <laughs> I actually I like shit like that. Like I don't mind if I, I really like lines. So I, I don't mind that style. It's cool, but definitely it's you know a little more painful in some other spots. I think it's dope. Well, it's I, just it's a very its own vibe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, sometimes I get into trouble because I think I sometimes rip on. Uh, maybe like Colorado or something because the lines aren't that good, but then the climbing is incredible and it's, and it's more friendly. So, uh, you know, what you're always looking for is a combination of both where it's tall, feels great to climb on is beautiful and in a good setting. I, I do think Bishop actually, I take it back. Colorado has that in spades too. Like you go to Lincoln Lake, you're in a hole, it sucks. And then you pop your head up and, and you just look around and you think, okay, you guys get some extra stars for, just ambiance. So, but Bishop's, Bishop's sure. a pretty spot, man. I, I like, Oh, it's beautiful. Spots. It's amazing. And actually the, the, yeah, the evil lower recon at uh, devolution. Um, it, that one climbs really nice. good. That, that patina, it goes all the way up, you know, all of the evolution. I know you've climbed on it. It's like some of the best, the coolest holds in, in bishops. So that was one of the friendlier, more aggressive in, in movement, but in holds like, uh, yeah, surprisingly friendly one. Do you get spooked on the top of something like Evolution? Uh, it's you know it's probably like a V seven slab. I don't know. It's not that tough. Like uh, someone who climbs as hard as you and like, 
what do you feel like up there? Is it scary at all to you? Or are you just like, dude, I, I'm not going to fall. This is just a V7. No. Yeah. I didn't get um, spooked at all on it. Um, I, you know, when I, I tried the top of evolution just to um, get it dialed in for the the start, I took the fall or not fall, but I, you know, I dropped off from like feet on the lip. So kind of the worst fall you would take. And it's super straight up and down. And I don't know, it, it felt very safe, like controlled to me, I guess, like not really too much of a thing, but definitely from, from the start, I was spooked, like not cause I thought I like, was scared of the fall, but cause, uh, I did not want to blow it and I was super pumped and I, it was cold and I was completely numb. Like I couldn't, I had no sensation. So it was very full value. Like I wanted to get it done that try and definitely felt like there's a chance that I wasn't going to. So it was a really fun experience. Oh, that's, oh, dude, I love that you transported us there. That's so cool. Just pulling off those burly moves and then being kind of gripped because it's cold and you get numb. And I, I dropped off the top a few times just because I didn't trust myself to grab the holds right because I couldn't feel my fingers. You know, I was just, and so when I did, I climbed as fast as I could just because that's that other element. I, I love these boulders or these climbs that just have those extra layers of, you know, that sticks in your memory because you remember, yeah. oh, this is like the easy part, but I'm gripped anyways because of all these other factors. So congrats, man. I'm just grateful that you shared it with us because I wasn't sure if you're going to, and just, <laughs> my hands are sweating thinking about that boulder and you adding the low is, is kind of something that everyone who's been in Bishop for a while has looked at and thanks for getting it done. Yeah. Appreciate it, man. It's, it was a special moment, man. Like that, uh, that line's beautiful. It moves really well. And it's just, it's right there. It's like the first thing in Bishop. So uh, the fact it's been a project for so long and I was really, yeah, felt privileged to do it for sure. Um, yeah, it's an experience, man. Cause it's like everyone that comes, you know, out of the milks normally walks through that boulder. We're trying it like late in the day. We, we brought like 20 pads out there to do it. So I'm already like a little stressed because I'm like, fuck, I, I really don't want to have to get all these pads out here again. I like turn around. I'm like, oh my goodness, there's like 30, 40 people out here. I like, fuck, like want to get this thing done. <laughs> it's getting dark. Like, yeah, I don't know. Everything about it was like, it was cool. It was, just felt like a special moment for sure. Awesome. Oh, I'm glad that Bishop now is is a fun place for you. And I I got asked about that project that you were working on with Jimmy. It, it just kept showing up on my Instagram pictures of you and Jimmy out in Bishop on some new thing. And uh, yeah, what what was that? Or was uh, what's what's that project, man? Um, yeah, I think it's in I think it's called the Sherman Boulders. I'm not 100. Um, percent It's kind of on the backside, uh, like across the river. Um, it's cool. It's, it's really, really hard. I think we're trying to stand mostly. I think we, uh, we tried to sit as well. We did all the moves, but one, I think both Jimmy and I had different methods for that move, but both seemed like viable. And, um, I think we both felt like pretty close to doing it, but uh, I mean, we only linked like, I think two moves max maybe. So it's, it's hard for sure. And it's pretty consistent with one, uh, kind of defined crux move like uh two thirds of the way up the boulder um yeah it'd be a cool one to go back to it's like that perfect bishop stone it's it's immaculate there's actually no 
mean, there's no texture on any of the holds. It's that like that real crazy patina stuff. So yeah, maybe, maybe get back there at some point to try that thing again. Well, I'm glad that Bishop still holds something for you. Uh, when you climb with Jimmy, I think of you guys as just physically looking quite different. Do you end up having way different beta? Like Jimmy's got to have a bit of reach on you. He's definitely got some, he's got some shoulders on all of us. He definitely has got some extra muscle. Uh, <laughs> what's it like sharing beta with someone like that on, you know, a project that's extremely difficult? Mm, yeah, it's super fun. Um, yeah, it's super fun. I think uh, we, you know, have different strengths, different sizes, different styles a little bit, but I, you know, I see him as being a super kind of all around climber. So a lot of time, like surprisingly, a lot of times what's efficient for me is efficient for him and, and vice versa, unless it's, you know, comes down to like a box issue, I think, um, of one box just fitting, but yeah, it's, it's fun. I mean, I love climbing with, uh, people like that, that are so, so dialed and have spent so long on their craft. Cause it's just, you, you learn a lot. And I, I see him as being, um, one of the more technical rock climbers out there. Um, so it's, it's, a yeah, it's just fun to try some new things with them. I always like hearing people like you who are, you know, at the, at the top of their game, that there's still stuff to learn from the people around you. And I always think it's interesting when I hear about Jimmy and he's just, this amazing technical climber. And just when you look at the guy, you just don't always think of him as being, I mean, he is an incredible technical climber, but he also looks like a freaking football player. And I just love that. I, I think that just shows so much about what climbing really is like when it comes down to it is mm -hmm. you know, movement. And I, I, you know, when you talked about how one of your specialties is generating movement, the right amount or it's generating momentum, the right amount and the stopping of it. Uh, to me, that's like this next layer of technique that maybe is, is hard for normal people to understand where it's just like, oh, put your foot in the right place. So I don't know, just, uh, just wish I had been there watching that, <laughs> that session and, and learning uh, alongside you. Well, I, uh, I know that you are now in Las Vegas and I got another question from a mutual friend of ours about what are some of the, the things that you've gotten on in Vegas? Like, yeah, it sounds like you just ran through Bishop now that it was, now that you got temps, are you doing something similar in Vegas? What's on your radar there? Um, yeah, the, the main focus at the moment is this, uh, project the Reddit Trieste that I'm, I'm pretty psyched on. Um, it's, it's really cool. There's, uh, one, you know, trucks move about halfway up. That's pretty defined. Um, hardest move on the boulder by far. There's kind of two methods now that seem to work pretty well. There's a jump method and this hard kind of shouldering method. Um, that's a, that's the main focus at the moment. Um, kind of past that, if I, you know, if I get that thing done, I'll probably go out to the nest again, Kintsugi again, maybe dabble on, on a sleepwalker again, but, um, yeah, just, just try to have a good time right now. I'm kind of locked in on the project mode. And I think, you know, if I uh, get opened up from there, I'll, I'll try to do some of the other classics that I've been wanting to do for a lot of years, but just haven't gotten around to. Did, did Sean, uh, sorry, did Sean Rabatou make a video about that? 
climb a long time I, ago? Is that? I yeah, I think I've about a year ago he he made a vlog of it. Um, yeah, it's it's amazing. It's a really good one. Well, I love seeing you get into this projecting mode and just set your sights on some of the most obvious projects that we have here and that are super, super hard. And I mean, you're already seeing success. Uh, we talked a little bit about the Olympics and you being excited about competing on them, but you unfortunately didn't qualify at the Pan Ams. And, you know, how is that shift in focus? Like, you think you'll ever go back to competitions now? Or are you just so psyched on, I mean, it seems like you're having a blast out there. Uh, so I don't blame you, but <laughs> yeah. what's your thoughts on the, on your future in the competitive realm? Um, yeah, I don't know. Probably not anytime soon. Um, yeah, I don't see myself going back anytime soon. I've, I've been waiting for this moment for kind of a long time. And the, the last two years, I kind of really saw it coming. So I, I just feel like psyched to be in this moment right now and be focusing more on rock, which has always been a, you know, something I've, I've liked to do, but I've just, it's hard to find the time in the comp season these days. It's like getting longer and longer, you know? So it's, it's like, you gotta be on for like eight months, nine months out of the year and focusing on plastic. And it's, it's hard to like kind of find those moments to, to rock climb. So now that the focus is entirely shifted, it's, it's a, uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. I feel like I got all the time in the world. So I'm uh, not seeing myself not being psyched on it anytime soon, I guess. You talked a little bit about switching from training mode into performance mode. I don't know if I'm saying that exactly right, but you know, you are clearly just out there bouldering on the hardest stuff you can. How You said you have all the time in the world, but how do you think about how long to stay out there working on, you know, V16 plus before going back into training mode. And what do you think that'll look like now that's not training necessarily for plastic? Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I see myself outside until I get like properly shut down by something. Um, then I'll probably hit the gym again. But until that, I'm, I'm psyched. Um, I don't think the training for me is going to change too much. Um, I've always kind of try to keep my training to like a pretty all arounder kind of style. Um, I actually see like a lot of benefits to not necessarily training like comp movement, but to train, you know, more competition style holds, like can get your hands a lot stronger, even though you don't see those holds as much outside. Um, I think strong hands can really help. So I think in terms of like the specific training, the style is not going to change too much. I just will, stop doing like the dynamic comp stuff. Cause I don't like it and I don't need to do it anymore. But from like a day to day, I think, yeah, it looks, looks pretty similar. Just hard sessions in the gym. Huh? You said you don't like the, the copy style movement. You, you do. I've seen you do very well on them. Uh, what, what is it? Yeah. What is that world cup style like that? Maybe you don't enjoy as much because I mean, you have won a world cup in bouldering. So, you know, it's interesting to hear that from you where you clearly have had success on that style, but what is it that, um, you don't enjoy as much compared to, you know, doing the FA of, uh, evolution low. <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, I mean, the permanence for sure is cool, but also, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think competition bouldering is like moved very far away from physicality and from just the 
you know, the classic tests, the classic bouldering tests. Like for me, it's always been how hard of a pinch can you use? How big of a move can you do on a crimp? How small of a crimp can you do? How, um, you know, bad of a sloper can you use? Like these kind of these classic core tests that I, I think are the most important. And I think that, you know, those kind of rarely to never get tested in the comps anymore. Like there's, I mean, last season, uh, it sounds crazy to say, but I, I'm, I'm pretty sure of it. Like there was more times that you had to turn around and jump into a, a two hand palm press than there were times that there was a hard crimp boulder on the wall. So it's like, we've just trended so far away from kind of what I consider classic climbing movement that it just doesn't interest me anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, when I think of doing lucid, I definitely think of grabbing a little pinch, not doing a 360. Well, I, the reason I always ask these questions about the world cup is because hearing from people who have won and done so well and are still a little disenchanted with it always surprises me and makes me a, a little sad. And it's, uh, you know, I, I keep hearing this echoed where it's just not, it's not quite the, the climbing that we grew up with. Uh, and I just am impressed. It shows you how much of a competitor you are that you still won. <laughs> you still uh, did, did them. Uh, so maybe the pendulum will swing back, but yeah, yeah I, I hope so. It, it'll be interesting to see. I think, you know, setting right now in, in the world cup is all about fads. It's like, what's fashionable. Um, and there's a, a certain style of movement that's super fashionable right now. I think, you know, my, my biggest kind of gripe with the season last year was like, how often we saw the same moves over and over and then how few times we saw the moves that I was psyched on. Um, you know, in my mind, if you have a comp that's like com completely dedicated to this jumping style, that next comp, why wouldn't it just be completely dedicated to physical climbing? Then, you know, you get to see everyone kind of showcase a little bit more of, uh, what they're about. Cause man, the, the, the scene is pretty stacked right now. Um, especially in, in bouldering. It's, it's crazy how many guys are strong and have, you know, different skill sets and could, uh, could perform well on, on specific boulders. So I think, um, I don't know. I, I just would have loved to have seen more opportunities for, uh, more people to, to find success because I know that there's dudes that have trained fucking their whole lives for this thing. And then they never get to see any climbing that suits them. And it's just, that's a shame to me because I think it, it shows kind of a yeah, bit of a failure of the setting in my mind. When I think of good setting, I, I mean, if they're going to bring in that kind of more parkour movement, if it was more balanced and it was like, okay, you have to do this uh, crazy move. And then to get out of it, you have to showcase your extreme ability in one of those classic metrics that you just described. I think I would feel better about that where you have to pass all of those bars, you know, versus just one bar. So I, it makes me wonder, you talked about what you consider some of the classic metrics in climbing. What do you think your weakness is now? Like, do you have anything that you think if you were to go back in the gym that you would want to tackle? Because from where I'm at, it just seems like everything you grab looks like a jug and you're not really getting shut down. Like, have you, do you have something that you've always struggled with in your climbing? Um, I don't know. I, I, I like to think I don't have like uh, real weaknesses, but I, I definitely see things that there's dudes that I'm inspired by that are, are better at things than me. Um, you know, I, I, I look at Yoshiyuki as an example is like this guy who can just pinch so hard and can 
can generate movement really just with pure physicality super well, um, which is something that I still uh, can improve in. Um, so stuff like that, I'm, I'm trying to get better at. And I think, um, you know, getting better at climbing outside of my box is always like, you know, one of those things that everyone should be doing in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm always on kind of a path of trying to become as well, well-rounded as possible. So change your, your strengths a lot and train your weaknesses a lot too. I think generating movement from positions where it's, it's really hard to use any momentum, I think would be one of those things that I'm still kind of trying to uh, get better at. Cause I'm, I think I'm pretty good at using momentum. So I'm, I'm good at finding a way to do that. Um, it's rare for me to find a move where it's impossible for me to use momentum. But when I do, I'm like, ah, fuck, I, I wish I was a little better at this just pure, uh, kind of peer recruitment style of generating. Yeah. I was trying to think of, I was going to ask you like, what is your style? Uh, but you know, when I think about the climbs that you've even just ticked recently, you really do seem to be broad across the spectrum, even in that whole bouldering versus sport. Uh, so the way I'll, I'll ask that question question differently is what are you looking for? Like, what do you have your eye on? You know, is there any rock type that you always head towards? It, it sounds like you were impressed with, with the aesthetics in Bishop, but maybe it didn't exactly speak to your joy in climbing. Like, do you want to head back to Seyus? Is that like, you know, the style or what do you have your eye on in this next year? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, like we said before, I feel like pretty on one bouldering. So I think I'm going to try to hit every hard boulder around, um, see how they feel, see if they feel like they could go this season, if they can stick around, if they can't, um, move on. So that's kind of the plan this year. I think next year is going to try to go into more of a sport climbing focus. Um, I love limestone climbing. So, you know, try to, try to get back, back to that kind of back to the roots and hopefully use some, some of the strength and bouldering skills that I got to, uh, try some roots with some harder bouldering cruxes on them. Cause I think that's still, man, I see, you know, I don't think bouldering stagnating. It's definitely people are getting stronger, but like, to me, when I look at root climbing, it just seems like we're so far away from, um, human potential. It's like, it's, it's just so easy to imagine stacking, you know, here's 515, add a V 14 to the top of it. Okay. Five, four, you know, 515 V14, add a V 13 after that. So it's like, there's just these really small, obvious building blocks that I think are totally possible that I'd like to, um, start playing with. And I think, you know, my style's kind of transitioned into more of a power endurance style. So I think trying to find, um, some roots that are like that, that stack, you know, multiple hard boulders on top of each other while you're, you know, a little pumped is like a really exciting kind of challenge to me. Oh, that's cool. It, it, it does seem like bouldering is not getting exactly that much harder moves. It does feel like some of the harder boulders we're seeing are almost heading towards like stacking hard boulders. So in that microcosm of boulders that that's happening, but I, I like what you're saying about just rope climbing could add even more, but I guess the, the thing, and we talked about this a little bit, like, how do you find that man? Like, or maybe you already know of projects like it, you know, it's hard to find the the perfect route that's at that limit. You know, is there anything that you yeah. know about? Um, I don't know. There's a route I, I never tried, but saw like LeBlanc project in, in, uh, Oleana that I'd maybe like check out at some point. Um, we have a route in Arizona that I'm 
incredibly psyched on. It's like the one we spent the most time on. Um, that's, that's kind of just that exact style where it's like a hard root into a, a really hard boulder and you got to be able to do it pumped. Um, yeah, it's, they're, they're few and far between, man. It's like boulders tend to form, you know, holds, I guess. Uh, and you know, you can find consistently hard movement, but if you want to find 20 meters of climbing with consistently hard movement, no good rest and no spots where it, 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 uh, it gets blank. It's like, yeah, that's a, that's a rare thing. So that's part of the reason I've been a little more, um, psyched on boulders. Cause it's like, there's a lot of good boulders. And I think there's maybe less good roots out there that, um, I'm psyched on. It's like, I, I feel like everyone's got a limited amount of time to climb, uh, at their peak. So I want to climb on just the, the dopest ones. Um, so searching for that route, we got one searching for another and then, uh, bouldering in between. Have you gotten to travel a lot in your career? I mean, clearly you did for World Cups, but do you feel like you've, like, have you been to Norway? Have you been to Rocklands? Like, have you ticked off all these big places? No, yeah, I got so many to go to. So I'm psyched to do a lot of classics too. Um, yeah, Norway haven't been, Rocklands haven't been. So those in the next couple of years are, are definitely trips I'm, I'm looking at doing. Hopefully Rocklands this year, maybe. <laughs> yeah, those yeah places I'm psyched. Don't suck, it's, dude. It's, <laughs> <laughs> ah, they're okay. I've heard. Yeah, it. I'm fucking psyched. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know if you want to dip into this, but you know, one of the things that you put on, put out there on your social recently, you had this just explosive Instagram post that I thought was just authentic and beautiful, and it came up after you didn't qualify for the Olympics, and just the way you, you know, kind of shared your emotion of what it was like to train for that. And also you said that you trained really well, like you felt like you showed up and that didn't happen for you. And, you know, this transition of your career, uh, yeah, I just wanted to give you space to expand on that note that I just felt was so, so well-written. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate hearing that a lot. Um, yeah, I, uh, man, there, there's a lot to unpack there for sure. Yeah, it was a stressful, a stressful competition for me, for sure. It was like, you know, I, I got to this point where I, I really didn't feel like I was even competing to go to the Olympics anymore. I felt like I was just competing to like keep my career alive in a lot of ways. Um, cause just how it goes, like you lose a sponsor. Sometimes it's hard to, hard to find another one. Yeah. I was, you know, kind of starting to look like that comp was like my ticket to, like getting my career back on track the way I, I, I honestly feel like I deserve it to be and, and want it to be. So it's like the kind of the cooking pot of pressure was like in, insane, like nothing I've ever felt before. It's like kind of why I'm real psyched on rock climbing right now. Cause it was like, not some shit I'd ever want to <laughs> feel again, honestly. Yeah. I don't know what, what, uh, what questions well, so, do you have, I guess. I mean, I, I'll just uh, ask that about, what it was like to perform under that pressure. It's, it's crazy to hear that from someone like you who has competed on the biggest stages for years that that kind of culminated in that moment. Uh, and you know, there, there's a side of me that's just wondering how you, how you handled that, like how you were you able to perform well, even under that, under the, that intense pressure? 
Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't think so. I, I think I did my best for sure. Um, I'm not uh, dissatisfied with how I competed at all. It's like just how comps goes. But yeah, I mean, I didn't really sleep for like a month before that comp. <laughs> it fucking sucked. Uh, yeah, Jeez, it is man. what it is. <laughs> How's it been transitioning into what you're doing now? Like clearly you are on one as, as we're, we're <laughs> everyone saying, and you know, how has this transition made you feel? And now that you're reflecting on that moment, that was so intense, you know, how, how do you feel about the, the journey that you're on now? G- good. Yeah, I feel good. Um, you know, feel, still feel the pressure to make the career work, I think, and, you know, find alternative ways to, um, keep this thing going because end of the day my goal is to climb as much hard shit as I can and I think I can climb a lot of hard shit so yeah just finding new ways to to make that uh, achievable still but it's an exciting time because I feel like I have all the freedom in the world to to do whatever I want so that's the that's the exciting part the the stressful part is like you know I gotta build something for myself at this point so um just trying to kind of make that happen well you're doing it right right now right this moment. Uh, and you know, when you went through your kind of the, the young Sean's ideas about what he wanted to do, and then you started listing off like what you have achieved in your career. The, again, the thing that really stood out to me that we covered earlier is I thought it was so cool how you really broke the doors open for Americans to compete on the world stage. Like I, I just, I know you've climbed unbelievably hard, but I just think there's something about that, about being the person to open that up for the rest of, the, of America that is underrated. Um, so I'm, I don't know, I'm just glad that you're moving on from that disappointing result and that you're out there. You really are climbing the hardest stuff in the world. And I can't wait to see what, you know, what this beer brings. I, I was talking to a, maybe I won't name who it is, but they were just saying that in some ways they were really happy that you, hadn't you that you weren't now training for <laughs> compy movements for the olympics because he thinks you're going to make that permanent mark on the climbing world in a way that you wouldn't have gotten the opportunity to so um yeah congrats on on this next journey and this chapter is just already off to an incredible start man uh, i appreciate that um yeah, I've, I've been hearing that a ton too. People are psyched I didn't make it and I'm kind of psyched too. So yeah, it's, uh, it's good. It's, <laughs> there's a lot of opportunity. Hearing from someone like you who is at the top of the climbing game, why is there a struggle or, or you know, why is it tough for you to make ends meet when really you probably are one of the top climbers right now in the world? Um. Yeah, I mean, it just comes down to finding good brand partners. I'm, I'm, you know, lucky to have some now that I'm, I'm psyched on. But um, it, it's, it is a tough thing to find. There's not a lot of companies that are in the climbing space, and I think, um, y- you know, a lot of times they have pretty specific views of what it means to be an athlete. And you know, I'll, I'll say it like myself, like I, I know that my viewpoint of what it means to be a, a professional climber is different than a lot of people, but, um, yeah, just finding that right, you know, that right partner that sees it uh, through the same lens and, you know, you can work together because at the end of the day you're, you're working together. So it's like, you have to have the same, the same goals. And, and if those goals aren't aligned, it's, it's not going to be a, a good relationship, you know? 
I'm curious. I, I know that you have a an amazing Instagram, and I'm just kind of curious how you balance your time between self promotion and putting out this this online presence and like kind of what is expected of you from brands. Like, yeah, you know, how do you split your time, and how much do they ask you to do on that front? Um. I mean, like, I don't know. I don't think the asks are, are super unreasonable. A lot of the time I'm, I'm just not a, a big fan of, of self-promotion. I think there's other forms of media that I, I find um, a lot more impactful. So in that sense, like social media is maybe like not the one that um, gets me going, but uh, yeah, it's, you know, that, that side of things is, is not necessarily so hard to balance. It's just kind of finding what, um, what your followers are, are into and trying to create content that gets you psyched and gets them psyched. But I, I, I think, you know, at the moment there's kind of like a divestment from um, other forms of, of media. It's like social is kind of the, the thing. It's like, that's how you make the money is by, by having a big social. And, you know, of course that's important, but you know, the era I grew up in, it was like the things that got me psyched and the things that sold products to me was, watching the best in the business doing the hardest shit in the world. I just thought that was so cool. And, and like, it, it's why I bought products every time. It was like, oh, you know, the Mojo short. It's like Chris made that short what it is today because he wore it when he climbed all the hardest shit in the world. So I think, you know, I, I'd like to start trending more towards kind of that side of, of content because I think it uh, it's impactful and I think it can um, it can work well, like you can sell shit that way. It, it sold me kind of everything up until I started getting sponsored, you know? <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Chris. Yeah. Sharma definitely made an impact on all of our careers. I, I definitely remember like climbing in moccasins early on because Chris was, and I was like, these shoes aren't working for me. They're terrible, but Chris loves them and he climbs hard. <laughs> yeah. So maybe I can't do, uh, yeah. Any other, uh, inspiration from, when you were a kid, like what are the things that really got you fired up and made you who you are today that you, you know, you think maybe has been lost like that, that style, any other things that really jumped down your head it, from when you were younger? Yeah, it was, it was just those videos, man. It was like, there used to be climbing movies. Those don't really exist anymore in the same way. I mean, there's, there is a lot of good content on YouTube, but you know, we had films back in the day. Those, those really inspired me a lot. And I know that there was, you know, clips that I just kept going back to and back to and back to, cause it was like so inspiring to me. And it was like, I want to wear the same shit you're wearing. I want to wear the same shoes you're wearing. I want to, that's what I want. You know, um, it's kind of that lasting impact that I think today is like, we're, we totally moved away from cause social media is so fast. It's like quick consumption. Um, and I don't think any of us really take the time to, to, to look that deep a lot of the time it's like we're just scrolling but man back in the day that uh that lasting kind of content that i kept coming back to i mean i had like 20 30 videos that i just like i watched over and over and over again and it's like that's fucking what i want to do you know that's the thing something that i think we've really lost is having these I don't know if you want to call them like characters. It, it's something I think we were talking about before too, where it's one thing to have self-promotion be part of the job. You know, of course you got to maintain an Instagram and everything. 
Uh, but this idea that brands could help athletes find their niche, like this is who you speak to. This is because I mean, dude, you're, I, I, I'm sorry, I use your, your nickname again. You know, you are Steezy Bailey. Like you have a, a very clear style. And I, I, I always wonder if there's something brands could do better that leverages each unique individual and makes them into something that is better. I don't know, you're more differentiated uh, compared to what's now where it's like, well, what'd you tick? Okay. Like, great. Like, you know, we saw that for three seconds and that, that's not how it used mm -hmm. to be. Sharma definitely has a, a style to him, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, just, just helping people find their niche. Like some people are really good at social media and they push product really effectively that way and, and it works for them and that's all good. Like, that's cool. If that's your way, that's your way. I think it's effective too. Um, but I think the, you know, that other side of things for one, it, I mean, it does get more expensive. It's like more expensive to make a vid. It's, it's more expensive to produce that content. And then the views maybe aren't, you know, as high as you wanted them to be. But I, you know, I've always had the feeling in my opinion, that even if the views aren't as good as some other content, it's like they're important views. Cause I think you know, we all see content that we're super impacted by. And I think that stays in our mind for, for a lot longer. It's like, there's a few ways to get through the noise right now. And like, one of them is to uh, push out a lot of content. So you're always at the top of the, you know, top of the list on, on Instagram. And another way is to create content that people are, are inspired by and, and want to keep going back to. Yeah. I like the idea of quality viewers or, or listeners, because I'm, uh, you know, I do a podcast versus quantity and this idea of being the lead domino and being the, the, the person that people look to that you know, occupies that top spot, uh, that, that really creates the content and has that, that quality aspect versus just something really flashy that goes by in five seconds on TikTok. And I think that the internet actually kind of tends to end up having these extreme variances. Like there's room for five second videos and there might be room for 50 minute climbing videos. And I just love this idea that you're talking about, about bringing back this really deep, meaningful content instead of just, yeah, I, I just, I don't want to be super negative. I'm trying not to just rip on like these random YouTubers that just, I don't know, it's just like the most uh, yeah, I, I don't, actually, I don't want to say anything negative. Just, I just don't enjoy it. Just, it makes me sad. It's not the climbing that I think of. It's not when I think of you out there doing hard stuff and digging deep like that. That's, I want that story, not just the five second, uh, send footy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I feel you. That's, that's what inspires me too. I mean, I just want to make content that, um, I, I would have been inspired by when I was younger. Like that's the dream. Um, so I think, yeah, it's, we're in a weird time. It's, it's definitely tough to, uh, to find brand partners that are, are stoked to do that. And, um, yeah, it's, it's tough to get that content through a lot of the time at the moment. Something I've heard that just blows my mind is that there's more and more athletes that are being dropped from brands and that they're actually bringing on more Instagram stars or YouTube stars. And I even like, wasn't there some shoe that just got made by there's, I, I, again, I don't want to rip on this YouTuber because it's like good for him. Yeah, yeah. I think he just, you know, got a shoe made about him. And 
I'm sh- I again, I don't even know how good a climber he is, but I know he's not Sean Bailey level. And it just makes me, it, it kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth where I'm like, oh, that's what we're doing. Like that, that, that's not the kind of climbing I'm doing. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you, man. I'm, uh, you know, I definitely get frustrated by it myself. Yeah. I think, you know, by and large, like there's, there's two reasons that you're going to sponsor a climber. Like one of them is to just give more awareness to your brand and, um, to, to get more eyes through, through self-promotion, I guess. But, you know, another big component of it is, you know, helping give brands legitimacy by saying, Hey, we're the fucking best. And this is why we're the best. We're the best. Cause you know, our dude just did this thing. Our chick just did this thing. Like that type of, uh, marketing I think is super effective. And I think it's, um, it's been slacked on quite a bit, um, in recent years. I, I definitely like to see us trend more towards, you know, that side of marketing. Cause I think it works. And I think that, uh, there's a, a want for it, even if, uh, you know, not all brands see that. Well, I think that sometimes brands forget about this flywheel of having people climb the hardest stuff in the world and make content that literally creates lifelong climbers. Like, uh, you know, some of those Chris Sharma videos you're talking about, you probably traveled across the world to go climb on that one you saw Chris doing. And then literally that's biography. <laughs> Sorry, I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but sorry. <laughs> no, it's perfect because, and that's what happens is you get this generation that comes up and then they do bibliography, right? And so it's like, you want this flywheel to create amazing climbers that are psyched, that then go and push a sport even further, that then get even more people psyched. And this is where I think that if, if we lose that flywheel, we hurt our sport in the long run to not support guys out there like you putting up things that will be iconic for the next generation. And I don't want to lose that foresight, you know? Yeah, I, I don't either. I definitely think that we're, we're trending towards, towards losing that a little bit at the moment. And it, it definitely makes me sad because I think, well, I just like you, man, like that's why I got into climbing. So it's like to see that thing kind of start to disappear is like, it's sad because it, it means that, you know, the next generation maybe doesn't get, get that. And I think, it was the most impactful thing for me. Like, of course I'd, I'd like to see the next generation of climbers, uh, get to, you know, not share that same experience, but uh, a similar one, at least. It makes me think of how things were done back then where you, know, you fall in love with a guy like Chris, because he's, he's this whole persona that gets, you know, it's not just the hard climbing, it's the try hard. It's the, um, kind of, wise mellowness when he's off the the wall. And, and that's where I was saying that something I would hope that brands do in the future is, you know, again, like Sean, you are some unique individual and, you know, packaging that and help brands helping showcase who you are and what makes you special because your style is going to speak to a certain type of climber. Just like while Chris is, you know, of course he's Chris Sharma and everyone has a love for him. At the same time, Dave Graham was coming up and, mm-hmm. you know, some, that really spoke to some other people, right? Like, you know, Dave and For Chris sure. are good friends and great, but you know, they're different. And so does that For make sure. sense to you? I uh, know. I completely agree. I mean, I think that that's like, you, you know, one of the thoughts that maybe 
yeah, some people have is that hard climbing is hard climbing. And I just don't see that way. I don't see it that way. Cause I, I, I got invested in climbers for their style and their personality. And of course the hard shit they were climbing, but it was like, it was more than that for me. It was like, I really fucked with that climber, you know? So I, I think that that's still an important side of things. Um, yeah, I, I just think, you know, at, at this moment in time, um, a lot of the burden on promotion is, is on the athletes. It's like, you're, you're a climber, but you're also a marketer and you're, you know, you have a whole personal brand, which you should, like you should have all those things, but I, I'd like to see more brands start to actually use their athletes, like as the face of the company and, and start to help athletes like create, or I don't like the word athletes, maybe just climbers, but um, help climbers like create content that is going to be meaningful to both the brand and, and the, and the climber. Yeah. That's something that really stuck out for me when we were chatting about this before was just like, dude, I'm psyched to work. I'm not complaining about doing Instagram. It's just like, help me craft my message the way that can be the most impactful for the community. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the kind of meta theme on this podcast is this good to great thing. And, and the thing I always point out about people who are great, and we can use you as an example, we can use Chris and, and Dave, is that they to be great, you have to somehow be you have to find your own uniqueness. Like when you did biography, I guarantee you, well, I don't know. I shouldn't say this. My hunch is you did it slightly differently than Chris, like just your way of approaching it, your way of doing, not even just your sequence, just how you climb and who you are is different. And so to me, that's what I love seeing is, and again, where maybe brands can help is showcasing the uniqueness of these greats in our sport. And I, like I said, I'd, I'd put you up there as one of them. Oh, well, I appreciate hearing that. Um, yeah, I'm with you for sure. I think, you know, the the atmosphere, I guess, has changed a lot. But even still, like that that marketing strategy, it, it made a lot of these companies what they are today. <clears throat> so I think, you know, it, it is like worth kind of looking to the past a little bit and like looking to what worked in the past a little bit and not necessarily trying to recreate it, but at least trying to uh, take some elements of that and, and introduce it into this kind of new environment. Cause I think it's uh, like effective. Well, the pendulum always swings too far, man. It's just kind of how it goes, right? Like we get, you know, people get obsessed with the TikTokification of, of climbing. And then you get these little reels that, are popular. And then that, I feel like that's part of the problems with world cups was that it's like, wow, this jump move got a lot of views. So we're just going to make it a double jump move. And, you know, people just mm -hmm. get too far out, but I, you know, I have, I have hope that the pendulum swings back the other way. And, and I just, I, I think that fundamentally, and I've, I've talked to others about this, that one of the reasons why it, why your post connected so deeply is that it's disappointing that someone of your caliber is struggling to make it so that you can keep on adding to the sport in the way that you did, that, that you did, that you do today. And I think that just, I, I have a hunch that when people hear that, that that's where it really hits you viscerally is you're like, wait, 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 are you sure? It, like Sean Bailey is struggling to make it all work because uh, he's like one of the top guys. So that, you know, I appreciate you sharing kind of some of the behind the scenes uh, about where the struggles are and, and uh, I don't know, man, I, I think it's going to change because you're out there being yourself, doing your best and it's, and it's a damn good job you're doing. So 
I'm optimistic. Oh man. Well, I, I appreciate hearing that for sure. You said it well on that, on that Instagram post. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, it, it really was, was damn good, really raw, really authentic, just positive. And, and I think it's, I think it's interesting how sometimes these, these pivotal moments, like, you know, I have a hunch you're going to look back. I mean, shit, you already are looking back just a few months later and being like, man, maybe that was the best thing that happened to me. Just like I've, I've had injuries where they seemed devastating at the time and actually they kind of unlocked something new in me. And, you know, sometimes the, our path, you know, it's never linear, right, man? It's always all over the place, but for sure. Jesus, you're doing well after that. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean, Jesus, man, these last couple of months have, will go down in history. Uh, and yeah, I'm glad that you're willing to share some of those sentences because yeah, they're, they're special. They're special. For sure. I appreciate that. There's always a silver lining for sure. So yeah, it, it's, it's working out in the end. I mean, one thing that I thought was really interesting that you were talking about that I think history has shown is, is a really positive in our sport is when athletes stay with brands for a long time and, and build that, that deep relationship that lets them explore the world. And, and you really start to associate a, a brand with a climber and I, I thought that's just, I love that idea. And I love those, I love those long-term partnerships, both from the athlete side and from the brand side. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that, you know, one of the things I've seen like my time in it and, you know, again, like, I don't want to generalize cause it's not every brand of course, but at a lot of brands, I think right now there, there is like kind of a good bit of turnover. And I think, you know, when that turnover happens, it can, uh, it can really change the whole atmosphere of the brand. So it, it can make it a little harder sometimes to stick with brands for a long time, um, depending on the brand, because you're not always working with the same people. So it's like, you get on really good and you guys have a, a good plan. And then, you know, you got to kind of redo that whole thing. So, you know, one of the positives of that is, um, you know, a lot of times, the people that are in those brands do have some lasting impact and can help shape the direction. But, you know, the, the negative of that is that um, it's, it's almost like a new partnership anytime that that happens, you know, I've heard of athletes moving brands because of the athlete manager moved. <laughs> yeah. They want to mm -hmm. stick with that, that person instead of the brand themselves. And it just shows you how deep these relationships go actually. And that that's what it should really be about is, you know, finding that partnership that lets everyone succeed and excel. And again, that's that flywheel, man. you know, just figure yeah. out something that, that works. For sure. I mean, I, I, I've always thought um, that, you know, one thing climbing uh, industry could really grow from is, is like continuing to use athletes when they're uh, like kind of past their, their physical prime. Cause I still see like a lifetime pursuit in climbing as like a huge asset. And I think that there's, you know, trainable skills and then there's things that aren't trainable like you can't train someone to have 20 years experience as a climber so it's like if, if part of that evolution was like you know you're at this brand for 15 years and and now you're you're not just an athlete but actually you know an employee and and helping shape the the future direction i think that could maybe you know help be a bit of a guiding light for the for the future and and kind of help, help things keep running more smoothly. Like, I think that'd be interesting because, you know, we all know it's like, none of us are going to have, uh, <laughs> uh, fucking 
45 year whatever career no, in, in no sean climbing, lie to me you just, know? please please lie to me i'm i'm getting old <laughs> don't, don't say that no oh sorry yeah you will you will <laughs> dude look at jimmy jimmy's will, but jimmy's like no for same, sure he's about the same age jesus he's for he's sure you can push it you can push it for a long time like it's dope but there does come a time when you can't anymore and so i think you know finding a position for those people in brands if they fit well could be a huge asset and i know some people are doing that and some brands are doing that but i think that that that's underutilized in my opinion yeah i agree i love i love that idea of you can't train someone. You you can't that you have to earn the the decades of climbing experience. And it's something we talked about with Jared, Jared Roth, uh, you know, the now the owner of Pusher that I thought was really cool. He just he was like, but when you shape holds, it's like if you've really climbed before, you bring something different. He's like, I went deep into climbing, and now when I shape, I bring those decades of not just kind of surface level having fun, but really deep love of the sport. And yeah, that has to be earned. And and yeah, you're out there doing it. Oh, all right, man. Uh, I I appreciate you uh, diving into this stuff. I I don't think you'll fall on deaf ears. You know, I, I mean, sometimes I, I hope that the podcast can, you know, it, start the ball rolling for, for change. And I do know that this podcast gets listened to by some of the top people in the industry, not just climbers, but people work in the, in the business too. So yeah, I know it won't fall on deaf ears and uh, thanks for giving us a peek behind the scenes. I, I really do appreciate it, man. Well, word. Yeah. I appreciate the opportunity and yeah, let's, uh, let's do it again. This was fun, dude. Well, before I go, I want to see if you can distill those 20 years into a pro tip and uh, give you a chance to, to plug something, you know, I, I mean, you just talked about some amazing FAs, some amazing climbs, and I don't know if you got any, any media coming out, but there's that. And then, yeah, if you got a pro tip to send us away with, I would appreciate it. Yeah. Um, well, pro tip, let's hit that. I did not think about that, but in this conversation, I have a good one. Um, <laughs> I, I, honestly, I, I really do believe like always keep, always keep learning. I think that's what uh, some people kind of fail to do is like every day, every day, try to learn. Don't ever slack on that. Cause if you're always trying to learn about climbing, you're going to get better at climbing. And the more you train, it's like super easy to kind of get into routine and, and kind of forget about that part of the process. So yeah, keep that up and you'll probably get better. <laughs> I think it, it shows why you're willing to go the world cups and do something new, right? Like, it's like, okay, this is different. And then you progress when you put yourself into those situations, but you have to have that mindset of this is an opportunity to learn, not just, oh, if I do badly, like, then it sucks. You know, it's like, no, always learning, always learning. Thanks, man. That was good. Yeah, for sure. Um, sorry, you had one more question. What was that? I was going to see if you had any, anything coming up to, to plug. I mean, you, you kind of mentioned that FA, you, it sounded like you were, you guys were thinking we were going to call it devolution and yeah. Any, any, uh, any footage coming out, anything you want to uh, point us towards <laughs> that may come out in the near future? Yeah. I mean, just, uh, stay tapped in for sure. I'm going to be trying to put out as much content as I can this year. So, uh, stay tuned. It's, it's in the works and there's, there's a few projects that, uh, you know, already have been uh, shot and stuff and are, are getting ready to go. So yeah, it's, it's coming out. It's happening this year. Well, make sure to link, link to your Instagram. Uh, you're saying how, you know, you don't do a ton of self-promotion stuff, but your Instagram is good, man. Those pictures are good. Like you, you do a 
good job at it. So uh, yeah, anyways, just a little side note. I, I, yeah, everyone should follow you to keep abreast of what you're doing. And um, yeah, psyched to see what's next, man. It's already been a hell of a, hell of a last couple of months. So psyched to see 2024 and, and what you're going to put down. Word, man. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the time. It was fun. All right. Thanks, Sean. Until next time, man. See you next time. Yeah. See you next time. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to learn more about Test Piece Climbing, you can check us out at testpiececlimbing.com and even book a session with one of our coaches. 